Hello and welcome to Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe badder is better and aim to watch the shameful shockers in the VHS bargain bin so you don't have to. Once again, I am joined by Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Hi there. And today we have got something that I think we've wanted to review since we since we started the podcast as uh, one of the most infamous B-movie films that there is, trilogies that there is, is The Basket Case trilogy probably a film or films that a lot of you are are familiar with i do just want to give a shout out to everyone on uh, twitter and instagram that got in touch uh, regarding the last episode that we did that was actually an episode about some early clive barker films that were pretty shocking uh, underworld and rawhead rex so if you should go check out that episode we had uh, we had quite a lot to say uh, about those films that you should check out but today it is all about basket case and the basket case trilogy we are going to do three films today uh, which we don't usually do we usually do two but we want to do three today because this is a, a neat little trilogy here that uh, was born from the the twisted mind of frank hennenlotter uh, also known for frankenhooker and brain damage to to brilliant films as well but he is best known for the basket case trilogy uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today so there is qu- quite a gap between the first basket case film and the other two so the first basket case film came out in 1982 uh, frank hennenlotter's first first feature film and it did star Kevin Van Hentenrick, who would uh, play the character of Dwayne in, in all three films. Mark, what were your first impressions of, of the original Basket Case film? Well, first time I saw this, I was at uni. My mate picked it up. He, we had no idea what it was about, and uh, we all just watched it while drinking beer in my student house and found it hilarious, to be honest. That's with, surely the best way to enjoy this film. Yeah, yeah. pretty much uh, laughing to every <laughs> scene. Lots of enjoyable characters. Lots of screaming, as you would expect, I suppose. But <laughs> yeah, some very schlocky screaming, in, and in uh, yeah. love the tackiness of Belial as well. But we'll yeah. go into that as we go. Yeah, on. I mean, it's important to remember that a lot of people wouldn't have known what this film was about when it first came out. The poster doesn't really give too much away. It does have a basket on it, and and the tagline, which I don't think is a great tagline, but the tenant in room seven is very small, very twisted, and very mad. <laughs> Which is a very cumbersome and long tagline, but yeah. it also makes me want to know a lot more. Mm. Uh, what do you mean? The tenant is small, twisted, and mad. <laughs> what does that mean? And um, yeah, it, it's you know you wouldn't have known what was in the basket, but we of course now know what was in the basket, and that's that's the, you know the basis of of the three films and the concept of the of the three films. So Basket Case does uh, does open with our character Dwayne uh, arriving in New York City. He's a boy from the little town upstate New York, and he arrives in the big city for the first time. I have to say one of the other starring uh, cast members of this film is Dwayne's hair. <laughs> yeah. His hair is amazing. Right from the get-go, it's this voluminous mullet, curly... It's, I don't think it's a wig. I think that's his hair, and it's outrageous. Unfortunately, trimmed down for the second yeah. films. Well, you would expect that much later in the 80s, but yeah. this was 1982, and apparently that was still a, a decent enough haircut to have. So mm. this this uh, big-haired country boy uh, turns up in the big city and finds uh, the first motel, I guess, he could find in, t- in Times Square, uh, which is called Hotel Broslin. Well, as soon as he arrives, basically in New York City, he's got a guy coming up to him, asking him if he wants drugs, <laughs> yeah. girls. He just he does a whole monologue without even stopping. He says, oh, what the hell's wrong with you? And gives up. 
Yeah. So, yeah, Dwayne obviously is offered all of the delights of New York as soon as he gets there. But he does check into the Hotel Broslin and straight away you're introduced to a, a real, a lovable cast of characters yeah. in this hotel. The manager of the hotel, hookers everywhere, <laughs> dirty old men. It's it's a real great... Um, the manager is hilarious as well. He's very sarcastic. Yeah, the, ma- the manager looks a bit like uh, Bob Hoskins in Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he does, yeah. Another great bad movie. <laughs> but um, he's got that kind of look to him. He definitely looks like Super Mario. He could have played Super Mario yeah. just just as well. He, he Dwayne arrives in this uh, in this hotel and straight away he he gets in the phone book and he starts um, he starts looking up doctors in the phone book and this is also preceded by a a brief a brief scene at the beginning of the film where a doctor is being stalked an unknown attacker mm. and doctors obviously will come up quite a lot in the, the film. Terrible acting in that opening scene as well. Terrible acting throughout, yeah, ma- mainly. Just particularly that <laughs> doctor just trying to look shocked. It's something I, I've seen this film many times, and I actually didn't realise until I watched it this time, that Basket Case, as a title, is obviously a double meaning, because it means that he's got a basket with him, literally. We don't see what's in the basket until about a third of the way through the film, so until that point, he's just talking to himself. Oh. We don't hear any reply so I think there's probably what they wanted to get across was a red herring that maybe Dwayne was just mental yeah. and there wasn't anything in the basket. Mm. I'm glad that didn't turn out to be the case. It wouldn't have been a very fun film. But It does seem pretty mental. He is also mentally disturbed, yeah, yeah but that's probably because of his brother, which, yeah. which we'll get to. Yeah, straight away he's introduced to our friendly local hooker called Casey. This is an actress that's appeared in every Frank Hanenlott film. Mm. In some in some way, shape, or form, and she'll pop up in all three of these films and the various points. Yeah, he looks up in the phone book straight away. He's looking for doctors, and the doctors do all have great names. And the first one is called Needleman <laughs> or Needleman. <laughs> um, and we get our first look also at the scars on the side of Dwayne to yeah. suggest that something's been been taken from him. We eventually learn that these are the doctors that uh, separated him from his conjoined twin uh, when he was younger. This, of course, is what is in the basket. And there are a number of um, scenes we see the character called Belial murdering uh, different doctors, ripping faces off and, and stabbing them with, uh, with scalpels. What did you think of the design of uh, Belial, Mark? It was very tacky <laughs> there's parts where you see him like shuffling along the floor um, mm. and it kind of looks like stop animation yeah um. it's quite a famous um, stop motion scene where he goes on a rampage yeah. in the hotel room yeah that's it and it's ridiculous yeah 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 so yeah, it's kind of just amusing. It's not like terrifying in any way. No, he also make. I mean, he makes very weird noises, Bilal. Yeah, especially in the first film, it's like. Yeah. It's not very scary. And there's a lot of uh, point of view shots with his kind of like heavy breathing. Yeah. But when he actually attacks, it's like just funny. It's kind of a trope of slashes at that time to have a POV heavy breathing shot. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. When you see the actual monster, it's not very scary. It's quite funny. Yeah. And uh, the idea, and it's less obvious in the first film, but the idea is that that Belial's face is meant to be Dwayne's face Mm. in rubber cast yeah. in rubber format but it doesn't it's not that obvious in the first film it just looks like a weird a weird rubber faced little little bag of bones really like a like a pickled bollock 
yeah. <laughs> um, on the rampage. But yeah, that's that's the, basically the the premise of the film is that uh, that they go around killing off the doctors that were responsible for separating uh, the conjoined twins when they when they were younger. And Dwayne just carrying him around in a basket. He feeds him at one point. He drops loads of hot dogs uh, into the basket. Has to look after him. They 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 portray that the twins have some sort of psychic link between each other, yeah. um, so that when one is in pain, the other one feels it, which is you know something that that people know about about conjoined twins isn't it yeah for example Dwayne um, goes on a date with a receptionist one of the doctors at the Statue of Liberty mm. very romantic scene I think that is when Bilal goes on his hotel room rampage isn't it it's cut, it cuts between their ridiculous over the top kissing <laughs> and him on his rampage yeah. and uh, he's sort of Dwayne's sort of freaking out mm. and she's wondering what's going on and he can sort of telepathically tell that Bilal's going mental yeah, <laughs> which which um, yeah puts a damper on the on the romance, I suppose. Yeah, the idea of Bilal as the jealous brother, and then you do get this great scene then where he comes home and Bilal is sitting on the on the toilet or in the sink, yeah, looking grumpy, and he has to explain to him that you know he has needs too and all this sort of stuff, mm. which is very funny. I mean, to be fair, when he does go on the date, he does leave um, Bilal a TV. Uh, which he plugs oh, yeah. in and puts next to the basket. It's not <laughs> tuned to any channel. And then when Bilal tries to turn the knob off, it breaks. Yeah. So that's probably also why why he went on a rampage. But <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of lot of saxophone music as well during that that scene. And um, the the girl he goes on a date with says, you know, I know a lot of guys. She's maybe a hooker as well. There are a lot of hookers in this film. <laughs> it's, it's a trope of Frank Enelotta to have lots of... Count the characters who aren't hookers. Yeah, yeah. And Casey the hooker does does pop up quite a lot. Um, she takes Dwayne out for a drink to a bar and this is where we get the quite lengthy flashback sequence where we, we literally see what happened to, to him and Belial. His confession of the uh, kind of... Yeah. Drunkenly... Uh... And, it, and initially he's just saying like... He's laughing. He's saying, I have a little brother in my basket. Ha ha ha. He was a twin and they separated from me. Ha ha ha. And then, and then they actually show it happening and it's just this hilarious yeah. flashback of the father is disgusted with Belial. Yeah. And he wants to, to be removed from Dwayne. He, that, it's not my son, he's a monster. And he just <laughs> pan up to Belial sticking up the side of Dwayne looking quite upset. A younger Belial, which is yeah. a, they've tried to sort of <laughs> make him less wrinkly, <laughs> <laughs> certainly less wrinkly, but also more innocent. Yeah, he's got a certain youthful innocence to his eyes mm. for a, a lumpy bollock. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but then yeah, the, he he does then get the three um, the three or four doctors there to, to separate the twins because you know, they don't share any organs. Like she, he's just a lump of tissue. It won't matter, you know. Yeah, if they don't share any organs, then how does he? How does he move and talk and make noises? He must have a brain. Yeah. The the father actually says when they're gathered round the doctors, he says, "Look, I don't know who you are, like, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you? Aren't you hiring them to separate your 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 conjoined twins?" <laughs> but yeah, their dad is obviously portrayed as a bit of a shit who doesn't care. And then he gets killed by a circular saw in their basement. And you see his just legs falling apart like that. <laughs> he gets bisected yeah. by uh, by a circular saw, and then they're left to be looked after by um, by their sort of nanny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they are they are separated, and that's obviously the origin story of Bilal and Dwayne. And they all assume <clears throat> Bilal died after the separation. Ah. Yeah. But he wasn't. He was kept in a basket. There you mm. go. That's that's why he keeps him in a basket. Clearly. There's a scene where the hookers 
in the bathroom and then she gets into bed <laughs> and Belial starts sort of touching her. Yeah, Bilal... <laughs> and she starts screaming, going mad. Bilal does have a little groping session with Casey, the, the hooker, and this is the very awkward subplot that, that Belial sort of has needs as well, and he wants to touch women's breasts, <laughs> and he wants to have some sort of sexual relationship, um, which is which is fulfilled later on in the film to, to horrifying levels. Yeah, but obviously Belial continues to be jealous of Dwayne when he, he falls in love with this um, receptionist quite quickly, mm. falls in love with her, they form a relationship. Eventually there is one of the most awkward sex scenes, uh, well, in this film. There <laughs> will be a more awkward sex scene in the trilogy, <laughs> but this was the most awkward sex scene in this film. This is where um, Dwayne's girlfriend is, is asleep in bed and... and Bilal just starts raping her. Yeah. With no, with no apparent genitals to do so, but yeah. he just sort of bounce up, bounces up and down on her. <laughs> leaves a big bloody patch, and he has to be separated, and this is when Dwayne and Bilal start having a fight with each other, which translates to the actor just flailing about with a big rubber... Yeah, rubber prop which I thought he did quite a good job of actually that can't be easy no. and he's flailing around the hotel room all look at hotel guests and saying what's going on up there and then they all see Belial and are obviously horrified as well I forgot there was a strange scene where um, we have some sort of dream sequence where Dwayne is running bollock naked through the, through the streets of New York yeah no idea what that was about no idea what that no. relates to but then that leads on to him poking her nipple and tries to have sex with her but then he wakes up and realises it's actually Belial that's raping her, her. Yeah. yeah that's so odd but yeah then Dwayne and Belial obviously have a big fight big falling out um, Belial grabs him by the balls and lifts him off the floor <laughs> which seems physically impossible and um, they have a fight and they end up both both hanging off hanging off the side of Times Square hanging off the hotel sign here and they both fall to their death yeah, that's it. Both dead. No more. No more films now. I presume they're dead. We, they are presumed dead, and they look pretty dead. They're taken off in an ambulance. They're covered in blood. Yeah, both dead. So, what were your overall impressions of the first uh, Basket Case film as an introduction to these characters? I really enjoyed this film when we first watched it. We watched it multiple times when I was at uni. I just laughed at nearly every scene. Really liked the hotel manager. Can't remember that many of his lines. I think it was a bit where he goes this is a hotel it's a nut house and just runs upstairs that's the bit I remember yeah very over the top yeah, yeah. yeah. quite alien like actually I guess because he latches onto people's face he's got that whole yeah. thing there but then that probably happens in a lot of horror films he's quite a a limpet he latches onto you and he won't let go yeah and flails about until until your face is sort of hanging off yeah great great film obviously it's, it's been an, an infamous film since it came out you know and, and it's a fine line between whether or not it was meant to be a bad film and, and whether or not Frank Henelotta could have made it a better film or just didn't have the budget or didn't have the know-how that would kind of change as the trilogy went on I, I felt but I think at this point this was his first film and this is probably the best film he could make but I think he also wanted it to be kind of stupid mm. and schlocky as well so did he mean it to be a comedy? Yeah. Hmm. It does say comedy on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> comedy horror, obviously. Yeah, maybe he did. I don't know. I think he often um, approaches his films with a, 
a humour that maybe not everyone sees, but mm. he's got a, twist, a twisted sense of humour, which I think he puts into his films. It will come out in the other films, but yeah, in this one, who, who knows? But it is very funny, it is good fun, and it is a, a legendary B-movie here, so... Yeah, so this would be followed up not very quickly. It would uh, many years would go by after Basket Case and Frank Canalotta would make brain damage in the interim, but not not really do that much. But then he would eventually follow up Basket Case with Basket Case Two, which came out in 1990. So eight years it took to get a sequel to Basket Case, yeah. probably because he killed off both of his characters. Yeah, and there would presumably wouldn't be a sequel, but. Nevertheless, Basket Case 2, we get an immediate retcon at the beginning of what happened at the end of the first film. They did not fall to their deaths, as you just saw. Yeah. They were taken to a hospital and, and were actually all right. Mm. So that's very handy for the sequel. Right at the beginning, we actually get a, a cameo of Casey the Hooker, again, being interviewed out, outside the, the hotel. This is her obligatory cameo in the film. Yeah. Um, but we go to the hospital where, where Dwayne and Bilal are recovering. Dwayne does still have the hair from the first film, but it's clearly a wig attached to the bandage yeah. that he's wearing because he does have short hair in the rest of the film. But I like they kept the daft hair, mm. at least for the first five minutes. <laughs> Straight away, we see Bilal, much better special effects. Yeah. Much better creature effects on Bilal. That was my first impression. I thought there was definitely a bigger budget for this film. Yeah, much <laughs> bigger. And some of the, in some of the film, um, Bilal is an animatronic puppet. And sometimes you can tell that it's it's Kevin Van Hentenrick's head inside yeah. inside prosthetic makeup. So they switch between those fairly um, seamlessly. But Bilal is, is kind of shackled, shackled up in the hospital. Of course, they escape. He ends up killing a security guard who who comes around the corner. He's stuck on the wall like a limpet again, yeah. and 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 attacks him. Um, but the 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 premise of this film is really about freaks, as they they put it in the film, you know. And we're introduced early on to characters that are watching the news broadcast of of Bilal and Dwayne falling at the hotel is uh, Susan and Granny Ruth, who are two of the main characters in this film. Mm. They actually get to the hospital incredibly quickly to rescue um, Dwayne and Belial and bring them back to their their house in, presumably, again, upstate New York, not far outside of New York, bring them back to their sort of house for unique individuals, I think they term it themselves. Yeah. We, uh, we get our very first sort of glimpse of the rest of the freaks when Dwayne is recovering, and he yeah. just opens his eyes, and you get this lovely blurry shot of all the other freaks looking at him. Just yeah, just enough to go, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Who who am I looking at? What am I looking at? Very shortly afterwards, they take Belial up into the attic, which... For a humane sort of place where they keep unique individuals, they do tend to stuff them in the attic, which is mm. not so humane. But they, they bring Bilal up to the attic, and then you get introduced to the... The best thing about this film is the cast of freaks. Yeah. All come with their own unique and amazing prosthetic special effects, uh, creature effects. I think they made them look intentionally comedic. I yeah. Mean, one of them has this ridiculously massive head and starts kind of singing operatically. I remember if you yeah. remember that bit. But. Well, there's a number of characters here. I wrote down quite a few of them. They all have their names in the credits, but I, I didn't didn't check. I'd rather just call them what I want to call them. <laughs> but there's, there's a guy that has, like, loads of noses over his head. Yeah. There's a guy who has a face like a moon... Like a massive twisted half moon. There is Lorenzo, the guy you mentioned, who has just got a massive head. 
and mouth and is connected to like a gramophone and just sings yeah. like an opera singer. Um, there's a guy with like massive teeth that looks like piano yeah. keys. There's a woman that just has a big bone on her head. It's just a big bone. Um, there's a guy called Frederick who looks a bit like Sloth from the Goonies, just a, like a lopsided, twisted face. There's a there's a guy that looks like a mouse. <laughs> there's a guy who looks like he has his brain on the outside and he has like little tiny sunglasses. I thought it was really impressive the amount of effort they put into creating all these characters. Yeah, every single character here... None, none of them really had any dialogue, but they, they put massive effort into at least a dozen characters there, which were intended to be like Belial, but a bit more elaborate. Mm. A bit more human, most of them. Yeah, <laughs> more more um, cutting character, a lot of them, yeah. you know, uh, the way that they're introduced. Yeah, they even put quite a lot of effort into into freaks to the scene, maybe even just once for a second in the film. Like, there's a gargoyle that sits outside on the house. Yeah. There's a frog that just pops up out of a bush at some <laughs> point. Like, a lot of these they used quite a lot in the film, but some yeah. of them they didn't at all. And I think it was the amazing attention to detail, the effort they put into designing these um, uh, these creature effects and these the design of these characters is amazing and it's something I've always remembered about this film is the way that these characters look and, and the way that they design them. The uh, the guy actually with, uh, they call him Moonface or Half Moon, the guy inside that makeup was um, the actor from Dawn of the Dead, plays the helicopter pilot in Dawn of the Dead, right. which I found remarkable that <laughs> 10 years or 12 years before Basket Case 2 he was in one of the biggest horror films ever Yeah. and 12 years later he was happy to just be under a prosthetic moon face with no dialogue I mean, that's bizarre I mean that's what IMDB says it was him but um, got no evidence of that <laughs> but what what a weird um, turn for his career that he would yeah. just end up playing a, a prosthetic headed freak all the while, when this 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 um, freak house is being introduced, we're also getting the 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 subplot of a journalist who's interested in covering the the, yeah. the Bradley twins and, and and all of this stuff, which is kind of I don't know. It kind of feels a bit like typical of this kind of film that you would have a journalist or a cop pitted against the the weirdos who are kind of the underdog characters, I suppose, exploiting them for some kind of media yeah. story. Yeah, there's there's a strange morality to this film hmm. where they're saying that you know you should just be yourself and everyone's different and shame on anyone who exploits freaks but they've also got these ludicrous looking characters that they've made intentionally hilarious made intentionally hilarious in comic book and don't resemble any, anything human hmm. I thought like the journalist here um, was the equivalent of you know documentaries you might get nowadays on channel 5 Mm. You know the the boy with ten dicks on his face or something. One of those kind of documentaries. Yeah. The boy with a tumor for a head. That was what this this journalist represented. And and they do visit a, a freak show, a, a good old fashioned kind of freak show owner. Actually, the guy that played the freak show owner has been in quite a few bad movies, quite a few um, cheesy B movies, particularly in New York. That he was in Chud and also Frankenhooker later on. So he's he's a bit of a legend. He's called Jan Saint, mm. but he he plays the sideshow owner here um, called Lal Barker. Of course, he ends up. You know, he's obviously a charlatan. He's he's made these exhibits out of nothing. He claims to have Bilal, but he hasn't got Bilal, mm. and he ends up becoming an exhibit himself. Mm. murdered and stuffed in a case of that kind of poetic justice by Bilal by Bilal yeah which I quite liked yeah now all the while um, Granny Ruth is um, trying to counsel Dwayne and Bilal 
but the counselling sessions with Belial are much funnier. Yeah. She's talking to him. You feel jealous of your brother, don't you? And he just kind of looks back. And, uh, <laughs> and I think sometimes you feel like, you know, you're, you're not so different after all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this monosyllabic grunts in response to her counselling, which is a very funny scene. And um, um, Dwayne feels like he's free because Belial can stay at this home and be cared for and Dwayne just wants to walk away from it and have his own life. Yeah. Kind of thing. This is a reversal of the first film in, in that now Dwayne is jealous of Belial. Yeah. Because now Dwayne is in a house of freakish people where Belial fits in very well and he doesn't and he feels like the outcast, which I thought was very clever. Mm. But all the while, um, there's a very rushed love story here where all of a sudden Dwayne and Susan, seemingly normal woman, he falls in love with her immediately and, and seemingly she's on board with this as well, which I thought was very yeah out of nowhere, you know. Um, Dwayne tells Belial that he thinks he loves Susan and Belial just laughs at him this is really oh, like yeah, yeah. long freakish laugh <laughs> he, he, he laughs so him out of the house basically yeah. yeah and all the while you know Dwayne's saying to Susan you know, we're normal we don't belong here and she's like no I'm not really normal he's like what do you mean yeah you are <laughs> so we start to get the first tease that maybe Susan's got something hidden yes that, you know, something, we'll get on to. something freakish <laughs> underneath yeah, obviously the, the, the journalists end up sort of um, visiting the house, trying to get the scoop here, trying to get to the bottom of the freaks. And also the Bradley twins are wanted fugitives. They're wanted for murder, so they're being harboured by Granny Roof mm. in in the freak house. There's a really great scene where um, the photographer sneaks into the house, sneaks up into the attic and starts yeah. using his flash photography, which creates this kind of strobing effect. And it's a scene I remember very well from when I was younger of the all of the freaks slowly creeping towards him in the attic yeah. and you're getting flash, flash, flash and they're a little bit closer every time. You can see that Frank Henelotter has come on quite a lot yeah. in eight years. <laughs> He's learned quite a lot about how to direct and this is a, a prime example of that. And then the journalist, the female one, is outside in the car and she can see into the attic from the outside with all these strobing lights of him yeah. being like attacked by them. She knows what's happened, basically. He's going to get killed. Yeah, yeah. Kind of an, an, annoyingly in this film, we do get another flashback of when Bilal and Dwayne are separated. Yeah. Kind of crops up in both number two and three, just lots of stock footage of the first film. Mm. They get their money's worth out of this separation scene because we get it almost in full again. Yeah. Dwayne and, and, and Bilal being separated. It's like, I didn't need this. Like no. I, I know this happened. So that, it, that's kind of unnecessary, but... Um, uh, we do get one of my favourite scenes, which is set in the local bar. Mm. And like you say, the, the, the female journalist, she goes to her boss and, and asks for help. So he visits the town and he meets with Dwayne in a bar mm. and they start talking. The dialogue itself is kind of just normal, normal. But if you pay attention, you can start to see the bar fill up. Yeah, slowly. Slowly, you realise the people in the bar are not usual people in the bar they yeah. are the freaks and it starts off very subtle at first people just walking back in the background and if you're eagle-eyed and you look at it you can see that they're, they're a little bit misshapen yeah. they look a little bit off you ultimately get the reveal when you can see a guy sitting behind him with a very lumpy head with a baseball cap on and he goes I don't think people in this bar are so normal after all there's this kind of high string music comes in just as this particular freak comes into shot and um, that's when they will take their masks off 
and then uh, yeah they return on him and Belial murders him while the rest of the freaks watch yeah they all have these little tiny masks yeah. no matter how big their heads are yeah which is funny some of the most massive heads will have a tiny little mask so mm-hmm. That being the kind of the gag of it is that like these people could never really disguise themselves, but you didn't notice in that bar that they were in there, so yeah. you know you fell for it. So, so why not? You know, this all culminates with the the female journalist there being uh, being attacked in her apartment by the freaks who actually twist her face into a sort of a pretzel. So she looks thing. like a freak. Yeah, so she looks freakish, and that's, that is quite gross. And they, they also ask, you know, what's in the basket? And they bring back the line from the first film, which is quite fun. Yeah. Uh, eventually, at the end of the film, then, we do get the most awkward sex scene probably in cinema history, <laughs> because up in the attic, Belial has been introduced to a character called Eve, who is eventually revealed is basically like him. Mm-hmm. A, a lumpy bag of bones yeah. and stuff and he has sex with her they have the romantic music playing in the background and you just hear like slapping and grunting <laughs> and she's got more of a leg than he has yeah. I guess because it'd be difficult to portray them having sex otherwise so her weird misshapen wonky leg is flipping out in the air and it's just horrible <laughs> but also hilarious <laughs> and at the same time it's Dwayne and Susan kissing and beginning to have sex and I, I thought it was really clever how the people that play Belial and Eve are the same actors that are playing Dwayne and Susan Yeah. so there's two sex scenes going on with two pairs of the same actors it, it's, it must have been a complicated thing to coordinate Yeah. but you have the normal you have the actors as themselves beginning to have sex and then you have them portraying small lumpy monsters also <laughs> having sex yeah I think that probably asks quite a lot of the actors to do both of those things you know and then of course Susan still insists that she's not normal and we get the reveal that she's been pregnant for eight years did yeah. you say um, six years oh six years sorry yeah. eight years is ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> um, with something and then she pulls up her top to reveal sort of a piranha plant like a chest burster like an yeah. alien again wasn't it sort of this weird like snapping mutant mm. turtle thing so it turns out she was a freak after all and then Dwayne goes a bit crazy and knocks her out of the window yeah <laughs> in a in a mirroring of the end of the first film yeah she gets knocked out the window by Dwayne falls on the table outside where all the other freaks are having a celebratory barbecue because everything was fine again and they've, yeah. they, they've gotten rid of the journalists. Um, so they all start looking for, for Dwayne in the house and they're just it's a chaotic scene where they're all running around, just throwing their arms up in the air and stressing out and none of them can find Dwayne. And it turns out that he's, he's taken Belial uh, into a room and using a ludicrously big needle, sewn Bilal back onto himself. Yeah. So they are now conjoined again. And then the, the film just ends with him saying, yeah. we're back together again now. In a, yeah, he, um, yeah, he hits him with a baseball bat. Then he mm. sews, stitches him back on. And then he's like, hey, it's okay. We're together again. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yeah. That would have also wrapped it up quite neatly if that were the end of the Basket Case franchise because they are now reunited and reattached. Quite a, quite an ironic way to end to end that film considering, you know, the whole film they were kind of at odds with each other and then, you know, it's Dwayne that gets the better of Belial in the end and reattaches him. I thought that was quite a good way of, a good way of ending it. Yeah. 
yeah, what, what do you think of Basket Case 2 overall? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really like the the other freaks characters. Yeah. They're really interesting. I like the whole kind of journalist thing, the whole kind of them trying to intervene, <laughs> exploit them kind of mm. thing. It's kind of like a bit of a, a stab at journalism, maybe, when journalism can intervene too much or yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. quite like the character of Grandma Ruth. Susan and how she's trying to take care of all these freaks and mm. thing and Dwayne wants initially wants to be separated from Belial and do his own thing but then he decides that he needs to stay and protect yeah. them and it was a much more ambitious film than the first one like in terms of the themes it's got more plot <laughs> it's a lot more plot yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were trying to tackle bigger things weren't they like yeah uh, like it's okay to be yourself and just because you look different you know don't judge a book by its cover all these things they were trying to tackle as well as like you say having a, a pop at journalism and their their kind of ambiguous morality and exploiting mm. people loads of stuff going on here yeah. and it's also a really fun film with amazing practical effects like towards the end of the 80s or 1990 but that's just before practical effects started to go out of fashion and CGI came in, but yeah. this is some of the best practical effects you probably ever see. Yeah, and they're not even they're doing it for laughs. They're not yeah. even doing it for horror purposes <laughs> most of the time. It's not much of a horror film when you think about it. Oh, really? People um, don't. Not many people get killed, really. No, it's it's more of a comedy, isn't it's it? Not as much, there's not as much murder as there is in no. the first one. There's quite a bit of... Well, there's there's one scene where there's some quite um, shocking gore, noticeably, when in the bar, the journalist boss gets his jaw kind of smashed off. Oh, yeah. Or there's someone in the back room that's like their jaw smashed in. That's like the only bit of proper gore, and it kind of stood out to me amongst no other gore. Yeah. Because it's really kind of a B-movie comedy, weird film, rather than a horror film. Yeah. I think they changed it from what it was in the first film to what it was here but uh, for the better I think much bigger budget much you know everything is better about it better writing better direction Frank Hennelot obviously learned a lot in the eight years yeah. <laughs> it took him to make a, a basket case too and yeah it was, I think it was worth making a sequel um, fits in really well with the first one and yeah he would then go on to make Basket Case 3. We'll move on to. So Basket Case 3 was uh, made in 1991, or released in 1991. Uh, it was actually shot back-to-back with Frank and Hooker, Frank Henelotter's other other famous film of, of the 90s. <laughs> straight away, we're, we're straight back in with a, a recap of the most awkward sex scene. <laughs> it was so awkward they had to show it again. <laughs> so immediately... Two seconds into the film, you're seeing Bilal going at it. Yeah. Hell for leather with Eve just, again, slapping, grunting. You're like, why am I, why am I being made to watch this again? <laughs> I've seen this. It's fine. And from there, it goes on. You think, okay, they're just trying to do that, you know, for, for comedy effect. They go on. The first five and a half minutes of Basket Case 3 is the last five and a half minutes yeah. of Basket Case 2. And that was your first indication that they did not have enough material for a third film or enough ideas for a third third film. Straight away, you're getting more stock footage again. Later on in the film, there would be another flashback to the surgical separation scene. I'm like, how much actual original content is there in the second and third (laughs) film? It's just straight away, really annoyed me. I was being made to watch the last five and a half minutes of, of the last film. But then we we do cut to to Dwayne 
seemingly being in a mental hospital. He's mm-hmm. in a padded cell and he's he's gone mad. Yeah. Uh, Belial has been removed from him by this point, as you would probably have expected. But then the reveal is that he's not in a mental hospital. He's in a padded room in Granny Ruth's house. Yeah. She just has a padded room in her house anyway, which is funny. But uh, Eve has become pregnant after that. all of that action with Belial as, as you as you would expect she's become pregnant I guess uh, Belial didn't uh, wear a condom but um, <laughs> it's confirmed that Susan is dead and also um, Bernard the little weird little uh, snake thing that lived in her, in her belly so that's confirmed they, they won't be coming back from the dead like, yeah. like Belial and Dwayne did Susan and Bernard dead but Eve is pregnant so they will be life still we're in, reintroduced to um a lot of the same characters here from the from Basket Case 2. They've reused a lot of the same characters, which I suppose is fair enough because they did put a lot of effort into them, so I don't mind that that much. There are a few extra characters here. There's someone called Cedric on the on the bus that they're travelling on, someone called uh, Cedric, and Granny Ruth says, oh, you brought your lettuce with you, I see. But the idea of this film is that they're going to go on a road trip. Is a very loose premise. They're yeah. going to go on a road trip to a doctor who can safely deliver Belial and Eve's babies... It's just pointless. There's no, there's no need for this film. There's no need for this plot. Ruth but that is, is the singing plot. on this freak bus. Oh um, yes, personality song. Dwayne's yeah. like, what's going on? And he tries to escape the bus, and it's just all very. What, why is this yeah. happening? <laughs> Dwayne's seemingly being held against his will, still in the straitjacket. Yeah. Um, they're all heading down. I don't know why they all needed to go, but they're all on a bus heading down to, I, I assume, the south of the USA to, to visit this doctor. And then we, we're introduced to this doctor. He's called... Well, it, it's confusing because the doctor is called Big Hal and his son is called Little it's Hal, funny, yeah. which is straight away confusing. Little Hal is an inventor... So we're introduced to some of his inventions. There is actually a reference, quite a clever Easter egg here. Uh, they mentioned that Little Hal invented a remote control lawnmower, and a remote control lawnmower was featured in the beginning of Frankenhooker, oh, which was yeah. a film that hadn't yet come out, <laughs> but was being filmed at the same time as Basket Case 3. <laughs> so Frank Hennenlotter put an Easter egg to a film he hadn't yet released. <laughs> in a film I guess they came out at the same time but I thought that was quite clever yeah the remote control lawnmower is what ends up um, originally taking out uh, you know Frankenhooker at the beginning of that film so that was very clever but yeah we're led to believe that Hal is some sort of multi-armed thing freak as well so this is why the Doctor is, is sympathetic and friendly and will, is happy to um, to help out the freaks here I find it funny that Frederick, the guy with you know one eyeball on the top of his head and one little halfway down his face, was driving the bus. <laughs> and as soon as I as soon as I noticed that, we we cut to a scene of him swerving all over the road. So <laughs> they obviously put that in deliberately. And how waters break and flood the bus. Oh my god, <laughs> that's gross. They arrive at Howell's house, Doctor Howell's house, and her water breaks with authority. It, yeah. it gushes and it it comes all out of the bus. It's just gross. <laughs> We're introduced to, to little Hal, who is this just massive blob with a like a shirt on, and it's revealed that Granny Ruth is actually his mum. Uh, they're getting Eve ready for her, her labour, hmm. and this is when we get the flashback to the separation again. Now, I guess to be fair to this flashback, the reason why they put this in is because uh, as soon as they come back from this flashback, Bilal is freaking out at the doctor because he's wearing surgical robes. Yeah, and he attacks him. So, yeah, and he attacks him. So the, the idea was to remind you that Bilal doesn't like doctors, but 
I don't think anyone would have forgotten that, really, if they'd seen the first two films. So, again, (laughs) unnecessary. Unless someone's watching Basket Case 3 without watching Basket Case 1 and 2. I don't know who's doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, Eve ends up giving birth to 12 babies. This scene is great, but all because (laughs) of the fact that the guy is filming it and he's counting every single one. Yeah. And he says things like, she's had five and she's still alive. (laughs) He's like a bingo caller. I need a smoke. Sex tuplets. (laughs) Pizza is here. (laughs) She's popping them out like Pez candies. Uh, Yeah. Little Hal got some good dialogue in here um, with this this pregnancy scene. But yeah, she gives birth to 12 little Belials, basically. Scale replicas of Belial, Mm. which is baby size and all all on like a string of sausages. Yeah. String of Belials. (laughs) This is probably my favourite bit of the film. While Eve is giving birth to 12 of Belial's babies, he has been locked inside his basket and is having a wet dream... (laughs) <laughs> where two topless twins two topless models who are twins are quoting Shakespeare to him yeah while he sort of gropes them <laughs> this is bizarre this actually comes up again after the end credits I, I noticed that. Sure yeah, that yeah yeah. somehow I did watch it all the way to the end of credits <laughs> and this is referenced again where Belial is smoking a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> Is that the only reason they put this in? So they can have a post-credits scene? I don't know. know. Bizarre. But he's having a wet dream and he's introduced to his 12 um, children, (laughs) which he doesn't seem impressed with. Uh, All the while, um, Dwayne has been arrested by some of the local police uh, in the area. He's he's trying to get arrested, basically, because he doesn't want to... Uh, he doesn't want to be lumped in with the freaks anymore. He wants to escape, so he sort of he goes to the authorities and says, "I'm I'm one of the Bradley twins, still wanted fugitives at this point." And yeah, the police um, the police go to visit Hal's house, and uh, they think it's some sort of weird satanic cult. Um, but there's a million dollar reward to get Belial hmm. out of the house, so they do go in in the house. They mistake Eve for Belial, which is fair enough, and um, they shoot her, and then they kidnap all of the little Belials one of them actually does say shit little baby Belials <laughs> and uh, meanwhile back at the um, the jail the sheriff's daughter takes her clothes off and she's got lingerie and really shit tattoos yeah um, she gets a bullwhip and starts um, messing with Dwayne which yeah. is a, again a, a weird unexplained scene I've just written weird S&M prison shit yeah for my because this, this film is really just a sequence of unrelated scenes it's <laughs> like a compilation uh, of little ideas that Frank Henelotter has had and he thought this would be funny yeah. this would be weird not enough for a film but yeah <laughs> yeah this does lead up to one of the most famous scenes in this film um, when um, Belial basically they want to bust um, Dwayne out of the prison again Mm. so they go for a Trojan horse approach where they leave the basket outside the station the policeman come out and find it and then bring it in once the basket is in Balal breaks out of the basket and then goes on a rampage which I thought was quite clever actually Mm. and if you've ever seen any still from this film or any gif from this film it is the part where Balal chokes one of the police officers his eyeballs pop out of his head. Oh, yeah. His lips roll back. Over, and it's just this ludicrous potato head. Yeah. Animatronic head. It just looks awful. 
one of the rare moments in, in, in the second and third basket case films where the effects are pure shit yeah and um, yeah if you if you google basket case 3 choking or probably even just basket case 3 you'll see this policeman getting choked um, causing all of his features to pop out of his head which is funny and it is worth it in this scene actually this rampage scene in the police station there's quite a lot of head stuff someone gets their head ripped off someone gets their head twisted the wrong way around and starts stumbling about with their face yeah facing the wrong way <laughs> Only he, Belial eats a guy's head off. He does, yeah. The sheriff's daughter accidentally sits on one of the baby Belials and just loads of blood comes pouring out of it, just squashes it, which is quite funny. So for some reason, this all leads to um, Hal creating a mecha Belial. So this is Belial housed within some massive robot. Yeah. This is unrelated again. It's like the power loader from Aliens, Mm. basically, but... Maybe that was the idea, the reference. Very yeah. random. Very random. I just, the idea was maybe just to get Balal to be a, a believable, more believable uh, monster mm. that he could wreak more havoc, I suppose. And for Hal to have something to do, I suppose. Mecha Belial goes on a rampage, kills kills the cops who kidnapped his children. They seem to have several funerals um, for Eve after she's been shot. There's one point in the house where they're having a funeral, and then there's an actual funeral. Yeah. I think they just didn't have anything else for the rest of the freaks to do by this point. Terrible speeches at the funeral. Don't have a quote, but I remember them being... I think they were just wondering, how come we've, we've, we've got all these great freak effects? How are we going to get these characters in so we'll have a funeral? Yeah. It's like they're massively running out of ideas um, by this point. But um, the sheriff gets mauled by Mecha Bilal. Mecha Bilal has a, um, a random person's face hanging off the top of his robot. I didn't know who that was. I don't know what the point of that was. For some reason, at the end, there's a talk show and all of the freaks storm out from backstage. Freaks and the women who love them. (laughs) (laughs) They they storm out and they take over the show and then Granny Ruth gives a little speech about how, you know, they're going to take over the world now. This is the beginning of the freak rebellion, hinting at maybe a much larger sort of future for the franchise but yeah. it didn't come to be no. this film dragged <laughs> it felt a lot longer than 90 minutes it was 90 minutes you do get rewarded with that post credits scene so that's something but yeah I just thought this was completely unnecessary they didn't have enough ideas for a film here they had a couple of vignettes that were vaguely related to each other I don't know what, what, what did you think of Basket Case 3? moderately enjoyed it it was definitely the least good out of the three like I really liked the first two but this one was pretty pointless there were a lot of scenes where you just felt like what's this for yeah what's the point of this how does this relate to anything yeah (laughs) I think the best bits were I like the bit where she's giving birth and that guy is kind of filming it and saying (laughs) all these random things some of the deaths are fairly good I suppose more gore in this one more Um, more killing but yeah generally there's not really much to tie it all together yeah. other than the fact that Belial has some children that's like the main plot point yeah right. the cover the cover of this film was a pram the idea being you know, when you run out of ideas <laughs> have your monster have children yeah yeah why not but yeah it was a weekend to the trilogy <laughs> it was weak and pointless and yeah apart from apart from getting to see some of this practical effect again I would say it's, it's pretty much a write off and you get all of this from the second film mm it's a, like a, a, a much lighter version of that that yeah. doesn't go anywhere so yeah Basket Case 3 
not the best and kind of ends the trilogy on a on a weak point but um yeah that was the basket case trilogy that we've reviewed for you uh today mark if you had to um put one of these films in a basket and carry it around for the rest of your life which which one of these films would you put in there well it was not three (laughs) (laughs) that one you would you would lock in the attic and never go up there yeah it's obviously between the first two I'd say the second one's probably the best Mm. but then the first one's the most classic because it's the first one so Mm. maybe I'd just have to keep the first one yeah I feel like the second one is the best for me it's my favourite I think with a lot of horror comedy films and especially if they do three of them you find the first one they don't quite know how funny it is yeah the second one they do and they do it well and by the third the joke isn't funny anymore they've have ideas yeah, yeah. They've, it, they've overdone it so I think number two perfectly catches the the sweet spot of the trilogy of the, of the idea of wouldn't it be funny if there were conjoined twins not just conjoined twins that have been separated but a whole cast of people with misshapen heads and yeah and funny little little uh, character quirks like that so yeah I think number two is really good number one obviously is, is great too for what it is but um, it's a much more basic film mm. it's more your classic kind of um, exploitation B-movie from New York at that time whereas Baxter Case 2 is much shinier 90s creature feature you know little yeah. little rubber monsters you know your critters your ghoulies that sort of stuff it was it was getting in on that kind of trend really that was really popular around that time so a bit more plot in the second one as well yeah a lot more a lot more ideas going on in the second one I think that's the best of the three so yeah that has been our review of the Basket Case trilogy three uh, you know well known B-movies, a well-known B-movie franchise. Um, If you did like this episode, then please do subscribe and leave us a a positive review on iTunes. Um, Get in touch on social media. Get in touch on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Let us know which Basket Case film uh, you like the best out of the trilogy. Uh, If you have any questions about about the films, or if you want to suggest any other films for us to review, then please please get in touch and do that. Uh, But yeah, that's been another episode of Schlock Tactics. My name is Ash, and I've been joined by Mark. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.